With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to each be giving our five biggest takeaways from the first week of NBA action. We are four days deep into the season right now and it has been a blast. Stars on new teams, stars coming back from injury. The league is just loaded right now and it is an absolute joy to have it back. So Logan... I will throw it over to you first. What's your first big takeaway from the action that we've seen so far? So not a big takeaway. We'll start out with something uh, pretty mild. Uh, say the NBA is loaded. A team that is loaded is the uh, Boston Celtics, Carson. And uh, my first takeaway is the Boston Celtics are going to be fine. You know, Carson, you may have known this uh, because the Boston Celtics went to the NBA Finals last year. Um, you know, cavemen like me decided to give the Boston Celtics 49 wins, and I just think that was a uh, gross <laughs> underestimate uh, by me. Uh, the Celtics look like they might be the best team in basketball, and I agree, Carson. Uh, I think they probably have the best roster composition in basketball as well with the development we're going to get out of Tatum and Brown this season and with the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Brogdon. I'll get into it, man. I mean, I especially think against Philadelphia in a matchup like them uh, against them specifically in the playoffs. I think we saw it in their first game. Boston's going to push the tempo, and they're going to move the ball really fast, and I think Philly really struggles in that regard. Harden looked really good, Carson. He looked really, really good uh, in both these games we've seen from Philadelphia, but Harden naturally stops the tempo a little bit. He stops the ball. He likes to stop that dribble instead of getting all the way downhill. Boston doesn't do that, man. Brogdon... Uh, Tatum, the entire crew was trying to get downhill at all times. That's one of the biggest, or that's one of the biggest changes actually that I've seen from the Boston Celtics, honestly. Um, and Brogdon's a big part of that. So, I mean, Tatum, thirty-two, nine, and four uh, through these first two games, fifty-five, twenty-nine, eighty-eight splits. Brown, thirty-two, four and three on seventy-one, forty, a hundred splits. Uh, Tatum, eighteen free throws attempted in two games. Like he's getting downhill a lot more. I love seeing that. And then the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, I thought we saw it in the Philly game. And I think the biggest um, – he's the biggest addition to this offense. I mean, because we saw what happened in the playoffs last year. He has the feel for the game. He's a natural tempo pusher. He's a great cutter. He's a good defender. But I think really what we saw in the Philly game was the added rim pressure that Malcolm Brogdon adds and how important that's going to be for Boston this season. He's just phenomenal at attacking closeouts and getting downhill – uh, this is among rotational on-ball guards. He was 97th percentile in drives, total shots at the rim, 96th percentile in rim shot creation, and 83rd percent in rim shot making. He's just good for when the offense stagnates or when the shot clock is low, and you've seen that repeatedly. If that's cutting downhill off of a guy posting up, if that's just just getting there off of a uh, off of a closeout, he helps generate more high-quality looks for the Celtics, and uh, the attention he draws inside creates passing lanes, shots for guys on the wings. Basically, Boston is just even better at exerting pressure on the defense, and 
he makes tough buckets in the mid-range. Like, in my opinion, Carson, he's exactly what Boston was missing. He's an ideal fit for this offense. The Celtics offense just feels so much even more alive, even more dynamic with him on the floor, and they're so much harder to stop. Um, I will say, too, though, uh, I think that Miami may have won that game if Bam hadn't gotten in foul trouble, right? Um, they got outscored, I think, 27-9 and out of bio minutes. Uh, Miami did. Um, and Oladipo has yet to play, right? I don't want to take any concrete things away from that for Miami. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Boston Celtics are going to be fine, and I think Malcolm Brogdon is a uh, awesome fit. I love what uh, we've seen out of him in two games. And I think Tatum and Brown are phenomenal. I think Tatum's going to be an MVP candidate this year, Carson. And uh, I don't know, Tatum and Brown look phenomenal, dude. This is this team looks like they're going to be the best offense and the best defense in the league, man. They're loaded. They're freaking loaded. And uh, and I love Brogdon. I love what, he's, uh, what he brings to this team. Celtics are great, and uh, I think that that was very predictable. I mean, they are the number two title favorite right now, and I really thought in our entire season preview process that they had a very strong argument for the most talented team in the league, certainly the best defensive foundation and personnel in the league, and I had a really, really tight debate between them and the Bucks for who I wanted to pick to win the title. So... I didn't need convincing here, but yeah, it's looked great. And when Tatum and Jalen are at their best, I mean, this can be the best offense in basketball. It was the best offense in basketball statistically for 30-plus games of last year because Jason Tatum was from another planet and Jalen Brown was really good alongside him. So there's no surprise there. But I'm completely with you on the Brogdon edition, and that's the difference here. That's why the Celtics feel so actively better than I think they were even last year. He just is the perfectly versatile and complimentary piece. He's so smart, and I like him, I think, even more in a role like this than what we saw him doing in Indiana where he had to really be a primary ball handler because, I mean, he's just a brilliant cutter. He's brilliant at moving without the ball and at smoothing things out, at attracting tension in the paint and kicking out to people. And, I mean, like you said, in that Philly game, he was consistently getting by dudes off the bounce and just making the right decisions, making tough finishes. You know, the fact that he is coming off the bench right now, I think he has a very strong case for six man of the year. And I think he's a legitimate difference maker in this team's title chances because without him, I think you would look at it and say, okay, the offense is probably too flawed given how good everyone around them is now because last year's field just was not of the same caliber as this year's. I think he legitimately helps smooth things over, gives them a guy who can vary the tempo who can create opportunities even when he's not controlling a possession with the ball in his hands or can dictate the tempo, can make those great passes. Like, Brogdon's just a stud and we knew it, but it's been great seeing it out there. Well, and I just wanted to add, uh, Boston has outscored both benches, uh, both opposing benches by uh, nine points against Miami and then by more than 10 against Philly. And, like, I mean, Brogdon's just, I mean, you're, you have, you're basically have an all-star coming off of the bench. Like, you basically have an all-star on kind of both ends of the floor, too. Uh, I, you know, when Rob Williams gets back, you slide Derek White to the bench. You know what I mean? You have an all-defense and an all-star guy, caliber guy, basically coming off your bench. I mean, that's that's crazy. You're just seeing it in full action. The only thing I think the Celtics are missing, and I think you can agree with me on this, Carson, is a big for just minutes against uh, uh, against big centers. I get it, man. I get that you need a guy out there for when Al Horford's in foul trouble and when you need a guy to guard Joel Embiid. That's why Noah Vonley played so much. We've gotten 34 minutes of Noah Vonley in two games. In my opinion, too much. I don't know, man. Get Taco Fall out there, bro. Like, I just mean if you want a big body, bro. Like, get Simbalar, dude. Get Just get a big body, man. Don't. Noah Vonley has no business being on the court. Pretty wild to throw out two sub NBA caliber players who are just notably massive. Yeah, it's strange how much Vonley has played. I don't love it, but I mean, he's playable. Like, he's not going to be a guy who they play in really meaningful minutes, I don't think, but he's been okay. I mean, he's not doing anything exceptional anyway. He's picking up his fair share of fouls. So it's not good, I agree. I would like for them to have more depth uh, in terms of bigs there, but this is without Robert Williams, so it's like it's a pretty significantly different picture than what I think it'll be come playoff time. My first takeaway comes from the team who 
the Celtics played in the first game of the season, and you mentioned it a little bit, but James Harden is back, man. And I think that this was something that a lot of people were on, the James Harden revenge tour, getting over that quad injury, having an offseason to get in shape, having the motivation of having had a couple of down years by his standards, a really disappointing run in Brooklyn, and then a disappointing end of the season in Philly. All these factors coming together, him taking the bit of the contract sacrifice, I think showed that devotion to wanting to win basketball games. Logan Camden not including him in his top 10 point guards in the NBA, I'm sure was... you do that? Well, we all remember it. At least I certainly do. And I told you at the time that you would feel foolish, and uh, I think it's going down as one of your worst takes ever. Yeah. Because right now, I think... James Harden looks pretty darn close to being the second best point guard in basketball. And I think he is very, very firmly in the top five. Like, I think it's clear that he was both out of shape and being legitimately hampered by that injury. He is so much quicker right now, like the James Harden that we had seen for years. And also, beautifully, just so much more aggressive. Like, and I think that's enabled by him feeling physically better because that was the thing last year. Is it didn't seem like he could get by people. He was so reliant on the tough jumpers, and of course, yeah, he can kill you with a million step backs a game, but he has to get into the lane to be his most effective as a scorer. He's got to get in there for the finishes around the rim and the floaters and obviously eating up free throws, and right now he's doing that. This is a scary James Harden who looks like a fringe top 10 player and a top 10 offensive player in basketball because he's, you know, one of the, I don't know, five, six best playmakers on the planet, I think, and when he's dialed in, is in that range as a scorer as well. Like, the dude is a monster. And we saw him score 30 points twice in 33 games with Philly last year through the regular season in the playoffs. He's had 30-plus in both of these games. And it, obviously, it's not going to be conventionally beautiful basketball with Harden for the most part just because of what he does to the pace of the game at times, because of some of the foul baiting and whatnot, really looking for contact. But I will say... I think he has had more variety in his shot profile so far this year than like ever before. He's seven of eight on mid-range jumpers. He made 21 mid-range jumpers in all of last year. He has been knocking down those floaters and it doesn't feel like he is problematically suffocating the pace of the game. Like he's made good decisions as a passer, sometimes quick decisions in those spots, like has had a few times advancing the ball in transition to Maxi. He's just playing Really great offensive basketball. And for a guy who was sounding alarm bells all of last year because he did not look like himself, you know, a top three score of the last decade was really struggling to put the ball in the basket. He is back, and although I have my other concerns with Philly, Embiid does played a real, couple really bad games. I'm not too worried about him long-term. It's been a couple really ugly games too, though, and like he still can get frustrated with the doubles out of the post and he still can I mean just play ugly basketball in terms of trying to draw the fouls at every spot and all that like I'm not saying that the Sixers have looked as good as we would have expected so far overall but James Harden is back James Harden looks great and if he sustains this level then they have the potential to totally make a run at a title like this was the x factor this was what we were looking to and He's gone out there, and he's clearly made the improvements necessary, and it's really fun. We have another big dog out east. Yeah, and in retrospect, I think it was a little unfair to hold Harden to like these super really high title standards, and especially for Philadelphia last season, you know, only playing half a season together. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that's unrealistic. It's like when Jordan came back and got eliminated by Shaq. You know what I mean? Like, I just think it's... It's kind of unfair to pigeonhole him to that, especially, yeah, when he was clearly out of shape. And, uh, yeah, I was wrong. Um, Yeah, I was wrong. Harden looks really, really good. And if he plays like this, I think they can win a title. I do think that pace thing's a problem, genuinely. I think when it comes playoff time, I don't think you can have stuff like this, man. And I think Philly defensively still has some issues to work out, some kinks to work out if they want to play up to Boston's level. But like I said, the good thing is we have an entire season to work these things out. We didn't last year, and that's why it always felt like Philadelphia wasn't going to make it out. It's why Philadelphia wasn't going to work. We have an entire season to work these kinks out. So I think Philly definitely has the talent, Harden playing like this. It's what they need to win a title. Harden has to play like this for them to win a title. Um, and we'll see. No, it's definitely a lot more fun, though. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, yeah, 
I think Philly's got some things to iron out, but I'm glad that Harden's back to this. Uh, my second takeaway, this is basically just a creative segue to talk about the rookies. Uh, give us a little bit of an update. Carson made some video breakdowns on two of these guys, uh, Jaden Ivey and Paolo Bencaro on our TikTok. You guys can check it out at Nerd Sesh. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of them. Um, but more specifically, one of my takeaways, Benedict Matherton, uh, Jaden Ivey, Paolo, this rookie class, we have some solid competition for rookie of the year, man. I thought it was going to be a runaway for Paolo Bencaro. And I want to say, I am impressed with him. 24-11-4 on 47-17-80 splits. Uh, through two games for Paolo. He baptized Corey Joseph as well. Just uh, sent him. I, I think he basically retired him, man. Um, not really anything we didn't know, man, but he's got all the tools to be a dominant scorer at all three levels, man. What he can do on the in the post, on the low block, driving to the basket. He's just strong. He's deceptive. And uh, he's got a lot. He's got more of a handle than I uh, expected, Carson. You know, like he's more of a reliable ball handler and He's better at bringing the ball up, man. He's also a really instinctual rebounder, too. It's an underrated aspect, man. Like, he grinds on the glass. Um, but I want to talk about some of these other guys, man, specifically Benedict Matherin. And I'll give Carson a lot of love here. I, I pressed me last episode because I didn't give him some love on Willie Green, of all people. I'll give you your flowers here, Carson. Benedict Matherin uh, has been a guy of yours for a very long time since you covered uh, Arizona State basketball when he played at U of A. I mean, you've been on Matherin for a very, very long time. Um, and I've loved what we've seen in two games out of him. And he looks so smooth. We talked about the opportunity preseason before we started, but what we've actually seen, man, he's got an explosive first step. Like when he catches the ball, he is exploding to the basket. And he's, an, he's a strong dribbler, man. He doesn't let guys knock him off of his drive. He's, he's strong. Like, he goes up strong, too. Six and a half free throw attempts per game through two games. That's big time for rookies, man. They don't get to the line like that. Um, he's got a little bit of a floater game, too. Like, it's just rare you see guys who are able to go up this strong and finish through contact, but also have that floater game. And honestly, the most impressive thing, I know this is stereotypical, the pull-up jumper looks really smooth, man. Like, it looks, he's not scared to take him if they give him space. Uh, I was sleeping on Matherin coming into the draft. I had him like 10. I was talking about Johnny Davis, man. Get a load of this freaking bald fella who covers basketball. Matherin's legit, man. And I, I feel bad for him not being on my radar as much uh, before this. But the opportunity comes together. He's got the talent. Uh, I'm in love with this, man. I think Halliburton and Matherin, sleeper guys to maybe both average 20 this season. I'm not kidding, dude. I think Matherin has that scoring bag. Uh, in him, and I think he's got the opportunity here, man. Um, so I'm excited with him. And then Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey was my guy. I'll toot my horn on that. Um, Ivey's looked really good too, man. And uh, his his handle's a little better than I expected, Carson. I know he was good in college, man, but he looks a lot more comfortable at this level. Um, God, can he excel like nobody I've seen before, man. Ivey just gets up to top speed so quickly. 18-3-7 on 52-38-100 splits. Um and what I've liked too, man, you know, I expected this from Ivy offensively, the explosiveness, the ease in the lane, how smooth his jumper looks. And uh, also, man, his long arms allowing him to finish with those scoop layups at the basket too, dude. Um, I don't know. He's really good in backdoor cutting too, man. Ivy is the total package, but I've really liked what I've seen that Ivy defensively too, man. Jumping passing lanes, getting into the fast break quick, getting the Pistons into transition quickly, man. Um, I think the Pistons have something special, and I, I said this before the season. We've been saying this since they drafted Ivy. Uh, I think Cunningham and Ivy are a special, special duo for the future, man. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this rookie class. Some other guys, I'll give a short shout out to man: Shaden Sharp, Jabari Smith Jr. with his perimeter shooting, Jalen Duran, Walker Kessler, all uh, looked pretty good in what we saw of them. But Matherin. Uh, really, really surprised me. But th this rookie class is strong, and uh, we've got competition for Rookie of the Year, man. I thought it was a Paolo runaway. I'm so much happier, man. I'm always surprised by the rookies, but this class is solid. Yeah, this class is loaded, and I think we knew that even not seeing Chet out there. There was so much talk about the top three prospects with Ivy sort of creeping into that tier as a fourth guy as well, although we ended up going behind Keegan Murray, obviously. I still think Paolo is a pretty strong favorite, and I think there's just a level of all-around scoring, rebounding, playmaking, defensive impact, in volume that other people aren't going to be able to match. Like I think he'll average really close to 20, 10, and 3, and that's a pretty darn strong rookie campaign. But you said it. 
I threw out Matherin as the guy who I thought had the best chance to push him in this race. I feel very good about that now. He's got 45 points through two games, and I think unequivocally looks like a future star. You said it all, man. When a guy has explosive athleticism, dynamic pull-up jump shooting, as a pretty big, positionally pretty strong athlete, that's really the foundation you need and is a good ball handler and has really good defensive tools and is a solid playmaker. I mean, kind of screaming star. And you mentioned he does have that floater game, had a couple of beautiful ones so far this year already. So I am all in on him. I think he's a future star. And Paolo, again, it's like I did a whole video breaking him down, but he's just exactly what we anticipated and what I hoped for. And that's what I loved about him from the moment I first saw him. I was like, so this guy is 6'10", 250, and is a really good athlete who you can use as a cutter, who you can use as a dominant interior athlete, who can clean up on the glass, who can dunk all over everybody, and then who also can initiate from the perimeter, can knock down pull-up jumpers over you, can make pretty good passes, and has the two-way tools. So yeah, okay, I think that guy's going to be a star. And I'm very, very confident, effectively positive, that he's going to be a star now. Sure, there's still stuff that he has to work through. His shot selection could still be a little bit better at times, maybe. His... You said, yeah, he's a good ball handler, certainly. He had a few sloppy turnovers in that first game. But overall, I mean, the foundation is incredible. And you see it, dude. You see it just in the number of roles he can fill. There's always going to be multiple places for this guy to excel on any team. Well, And I was just going to say, yeah, that's what I really like about him here in Orlando, too. Is, I mean, you see it on the floor game to game. Paolo's versatility it's just what Orlando needs. And I mean, it just he's always in the right spot. That's what I was talking about with the rebounding. It's like he's always where the ball is. If they need him to push in transition and to get to the rack, which he's good at, he's there. If they need him to grab the board and go out, like, I don't know. Orlando really needed a commander, a, a type like Paolo. I mean, he was the best player in the draft. Any team needed him. But Paolo just seems to always be in the right spot, and he's not afraid of the moment either, man. I'm, I'm just impressed by his composure, man, and how far along, like, he's a – Damn good prospect, dude. He's just a damn good player. Like I'm, I'm, re- I'm just really surprised how two games in, how much of a leader, um, and how ready for the moment just Paolo seems. He's a baller, man. But the person who I have been most pleasantly, uh, I don't know if I would say surprised, but impressed by is Jaden Ivey. And I thought it was very clear that Chet and Paolo were the two best guys in this class. And I thought Jabari Smith was clearly third, and then I thought Jaden Ivey was clearly fourth. And you were higher on Ivey. Didn't you have him second overall? I either had him second or third, yeah. I thought that it would be crazy to argue him over Paolo. I still think that, by the way. But watching him out there and considering Jabari Smith's flaws, and sure, he's young and growing into his game and all that, but just the awkwardness of his shot creation at times, the lack of that you know, quickness to really consistently get by people and the comfort putting the ball on the floor. Like, I still think Jabari Smith's going to be really good, but part of it was I believed in his floor as this 3 and D guy at 6'10", lights out shooter with great defensive tools. And with Ivy, I was like, yeah, he's very promising, but I don't know that he's like some lock to be a star. I think he looks phenomenal. I did a video breaking him down on TikTok as well. And one of my favorite things is how well he is fitting in as effectively a two here because Cade is the all-world talent. Cade is the superstar. Cade is the potential all-NBA first-team MVP kind of guy, and he is always going to be the primary ball handler. So Ivy needed to find a way to be the second guy, and I just think he's been brilliant in that role. Like, Sure, he has tons of possessions where it can be his show, but he's being decisive, and he's moving without the ball. He had a couple great cuts in the first game. We've seen him make multiple catch-and-shoot threes, and he's not like having any soul-sucking possessions, and by the way, made some pretty darn good decisions as a passer, and I will say he's even quicker, even more explosive than I gave him credit for as a prospect. He is like pretty much always the fastest guy on the court, in the full court, in the half court, And it's a really, really lethal weapon. And by the way, he's got great footwork in the paint. So if he's going to shoot the ball well, which he has so far, if he's going to play off ball well, which he has so far, and if he's going to make good decisions consistently as a passer and as a scorer, because he's been damn efficient, well, then it's like, geez. And as you mentioned, be engaged defensively, especially as a playmaker, using his length and instincts there. And like you said, getting it going in transition where he's incredible. 
Jaden Ivey looks like a star and I think is an absolute home run. And I think that <laughs> very clearly, I'm sorry, like Keegan Murray gets buckets. I like Keegan Murray a lot, but few things are more valuable than that dynamic guard. And uh, that's just what Jaden Ivey looks like right now. Dude, if only like people were saying that like draft night, that would have been crazy. Um, no, the craziest thing to me about Jaden Ivey, one of my favorite things, is you mentioned, I mean, we've talked about it, the transition things. I mean, he, his acceleration, man, there was a possession during uh, this last game. I don't know, man, it was like Sadiq was like 20 feet ahead of him, right? And he gets the ball and catches it. And by the time they get to the free throw line, like he's past Sadiq, he's past Cade. It, it's it's crazy, man, how fast, how quickly he gets up to top speed and how fast he is. And how just easy he makes it look for such a young guy, man. I'm uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. All right, well, I had a takeaway that was going to be just dedicated to the rookies, too. We basically talked about all the same guys. Those are the three standouts so far, in my opinion. I will give one shout-out to fellow Detroit Piston, Jalen Duran, who uh, I said through the draft process, and this is interesting because Carvel, who we've had on the show, and who wrote for our website when that was a little more active. Maybe we'll bring that back to higher activity. We'll see. He asked me just the other day if I would take Duran or Wiseman. And during the draft process, I said, I think where Jalen Duran is projected to go is a real reflection of the strength of this draft class compared to the weakness of the 2020 draft class. Because I was like, I think you put this guy up against James Wiseman as prospects, and they're pretty darn close. I mean, Wiseman is a, a little bigger, a little longer, and you know probably has a little bit more of that perimeter skill, but that hasn't always been a good thing. And he was billed as a number one prospect in high school. Duran's a monster, dude. I mean, already has had 10-plus boards in both games and is averaging 11 a night and had three blocks in his debut and is a really good athlete, is strong as hell at 6'10", 250, but also has skill, has touch, you know, has a little bit of that jump shooting we saw in college as well. So I just think... That guy is like a really, really good five. And by the way, he's 18 years old, man. Like, I just think he is a phenomenal pick at 13. I thought that was good value then. I love it even more now. He's not in the same class in terms of immediate impact. He doesn't have that same level of perimeter skill, obviously. Uh, but he's been impressive and fun. So shout out to this rookie class. It hasn't necessarily, like... You know, we're only two games in for these teams, one game for some of them. But it has felt as though those guys are three pretty clear standouts, and some of the deeper guys, you know, you haven't really felt them have great games yet, but we're so early on. So it's a very talented class, obviously, and I think it's been fun to see these guys pop. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my next takeaway, and something we talked about a lot leading up to the season, the Pelicans are a problem. Um, another segue, we're just going to talk about the Pelicans. Uh, a lot of the things that we predicted about this team, man, um, have come true. I, they're super hard to defend matchup-wise. I mean, Carson, I can't think of a tandem that head-to-head. -head, I mean, how do you guard Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson together? It, it's just such a tall task. I don't know if there's a Paul George and Kawhi. Uh, I was thinking the Celtics are probably best equipped to do it with like a Tatum and Horford type deal. I don't know what... Kawhi is doing with Zion honestly it's pretty tough yeah it's just tough like every night when these guys are healthy first of all it's a matchup problem they bully and press the ball inside they crash the hell out of the glass that's why I expected a bad beatdown against Charlotte uh especially with a guy like Valanciunas too he goes for 30 to me it was plain as day that was a blowout waiting to happen no LaMelo ball Terry Rozier is gonna go get buckets but it's like They've got Mason Plumley down there, bro. That's fish food. They were going to eat on that, and it has been reflected. Teams without consistent, really good, impactful perimeter wings who can slow these guys down at the point of attack or guys with impactful teams with impactful rim protectors, they're not beating New Orleans. Uh, against the Hornets, they out-rebound Charlotte 53-37. to They get to the line 37 times. They make 32 free throws, and they outscore them in the paint 62-48. to Against the Nets, they out-rebound them 61-39. to They outscore them in the paint 62-46. to And on second-chance points, get this, Carson, 36-4 second-chance points. I mean, 
like I said, it's tough enough that you have to go at Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. And then Jonas Valanciunas comes in here, and he's such a great glass cleaner. Like, uh, every night it's going to be a slog against this team. And offensively, too, man, I don't care who is out there. If it's Alvarado, if it's C.J. McCollum, if it's Devontae Graham, Trey Murphy, Larry Nance, the ball feels alive. The play feels alive, man. This team feels active. It feels fun. They feel engaged. And... They've been a lot of fun to watch. Now, I do think that uh, New Orleans has defensive issues of their own. I think that uh, on the interior and the paint, I'm not in love with Valanciunas. Like, I still think that on the perimeter, on the interior, I think if anything's going to let New Orleans down, it's going to be their defense long-term. Offensively, I don't know how you stop them. And on the interior, they're going to be dominant. So they're just a tough matchup every night. And then specifically, Zion's been okay, 21-7-3, 44% from the field. McCollum has been nice, 21-5-4. I just want to give an extra shout-out to Brandon Ingram. He's looked great through two games. The biggest takeaway for me with B.I., 28-8-6 on 55-60-85 splits through two games here, is just his ball handle and general playmaking instincts. Um You've seen it these past two years because he's forced to be the guy without Zion uh, and until they acquired McCollum, right? I think it was almost kind of beneficial to him, Carson. You know, having to be the guy here, developing the ball handling skills in an ironic way by being on such a bad team, by by being by himself. Brandon's carved out, like, a really uh, so much more, like, well-rounded game. But the ball handling and playmaking to me is so imperative. He's an actual playmaker now. He's an actual, like, he just he has so much better feel for the game, and he's such a better passer than when he was young, man. I'm really impressed, and uh, that's going to be vital, man. Him and McCollum are a deadly playmaking duo, and so I just, we knew this. We knew New Orleans was going to be really good. Not the toughest competition. Charlotte and Brooklyn, not defenses that really scare me. Again, I want to see them do this against the Phoenixes of the world. I want to see them do this against the Golden States of the world. Teams that are really grinding hard, that have, you know, Good cultures, good chemistry. Um, they're going to be dominant on the interior. They have three stars. They're going to be dominant on the glass, and they're going to score a lot every night, and they're a tough matchup, man. The Pelicans are going to be great, and I think they're a top-four seed. I think that they're going to end up where I projected them uh, in the top four. I think the Pelicans are a problem. 100% they're a problem. I picked them to win a playoff series and wasn't as high on them for regular season purposes as you but I think the ceiling was obvious. And look, they have one of the best interior duos in basketball with Zion and Valanciunas. Like offensively, Valanciunas is that imposing and is that much of a mismatch for so many teams in the NBA with his just interior scoring and strength, his post ability, his touchdown there, and his monstrous rebounding. And then I don't think I should have to sell you on Zion Williamson. But they also have legitimately one of the best perimeter duos in basketball too. Like B.I. is that man, and I think is, God, I'd have to go through and rank my players, but is knocking on the door probably of being a top 15 guy. I think is certainly a top 20 guy. Like, you talked about it, dude. It's the playmaking evolution, and by the way, he's one of the nastiest pull-up jump shooters in basketball and uh, can get downhill as well. Like, he's been unselfish. He's advanced the ball in transition and can get you a bucket at will. Was outstanding. Uh, in the playoffs last year and I mean has completely held that up to start this regular season so Trey Murphy's look good again I think the depth here is solid enough that when you look at that big three and with Valanciunas as a fourth guy and then with the supporting young defensive pieces on the wings this is going to be a really really good team they're going to be an elite offense teams just are going to have a really hard time competing with that combination of strength and physicality on the inside while you also have dynamic shot making from the perimeter and good playmaking. Like, there's just so many guys who can kill you in so many different ways. I think they're terrifying. I would not want to see the Pelicans in a playoff series. I think they're one of the most fun and exciting teams in basketball this year. And luck has a little something to do with it, but I, I just want to give the front office a shout-out too, man. And, the, like, the Pelicans have done such a great job of – killing it in the draft, man, of building out this rotation. Like I said, luck was landing Zion, right? You're not always going to get a talent like that, but getting McCollum, holding on to B.I., you know, after the A.D. trade, drafting Herb Jones, Trey Murphy. um, The Pelicans have done a phenomenal job of building out this roster and making them a genuine contender. 
Um, yeah, they deserve credit for it. I'm the Pelicans are one of my favorite teams to just watch too, man. They're just they're fun too. That's what I like. Zion's awesome. Zion makes basketball so much more fun. Thank you for getting your fat ass in shape, man. That was nice of you. All right. I have also been very excited by a new look team out east. And that is the Atlanta Hawks, who I think can 100% win a playoff series. Like, Trey hasn't shot well through two games, but you see the potential. It is perfectly obvious. And we talked about this was the second best offense in basketball last year that just added a second offensive star and perimeter ball handler, a really high end scorer, and even more than that, playmaker, and has great shooting and athleticism from their bigs, like, should improve defensively. And there are a lot of reasons to love Atlanta. And I ended up having them as my winners in name of the Southeast. I had them in the heat finishing with the same record, but the tiebreaker in my mind went to Atlanta, and I feel good about that. The biggest difference is obviously DeJounte Murray. Like, hopefully they're healthier this year more consistently, but DeJounte is just really, really good here. And I had some questions about skill set redundancy with him and Trey both having that feel as lead ball handlers and playmakers and not guys who we've seen thrive away from the ball, but they're both doing some stuff away from the ball, like when the other one has it in their hands, getting set some high pin downs and whatnot and curling around. DeJounte has been a very willing shooter. He's taken 10 threes through two games, and look, he's got to make more of them. Like He is a career 33% guy from deep, but he's been willing. He's had some beautiful moments from the mid-range, and I mean, obviously is a penetrating athlete really tough to stop getting downhill and you see the playmaking more than anything like that's the thing there are so many mouths to feed here but I mean I'm not saying that that is in any way like an excess of riches I think it's a very good thing but it's just you have so many options on every play right and DeJounte is so great at making those tight window passes fitting in bounce passes to rollers finding shooters when he gets downhill it's just great here and uh, Onyeka has looked really good I've liked the Holiday Brothers. Like, the depth here is good. I just think they're right there with, like, probably even the Cavs, dare I say, which is a team I was really, really high on. I think the Hawks are there in terms of talent. And I think offensively it's going to come easier. I, I picked the Nets to finish above them. We got to see more, but it hasn't been overly pretty in Brooklyn yet. I just think this Hawks team is is damn good. They're going to take a big step up from last year. I do think the DeJounte fit works, and I love what I've seen from them. Yeah, I think it works too. I think they're primed to be a lot better defensively. I think another guy, DeAndre Hunter's looked really good. He just got his bag. Um, and if it's – DeAndre's not consistent with – but, I mean, it, it was his mid-range in the first game, which didn't make any sense. It was just like whatever he put up from the mid-range, it was falling. Um, another one of Logan Camden's coldest takes. Top 25 guys under 25. Give me DeAndre. Or no, no. Guys to start a franchise with. Give me DeAndre Hunter, man. And by the way, it was top 15. Cringe. Uh, I like DeAndre Hunter a lot. He went to UVA. I mean, I always expected Hunter to come along as a defender. He's a good passer, too. He's got decent feel for the game. He showcases it at times. But yeah, man, the Hawks, I didn't expect the DeJounte fit to be as good. I'm going to be honest. But he gives them that. Especially that defensive playmaking ability, man, which I, I, I underrated. And that, I don't know, man, it, it felt like Atlanta needed injection of intensity as well, man. And DeJounte certainly brings that, that mentality. I think Atlanta needed that as well, and that's been imperative. Because this was a good defensive team during their playoff run. That was a big part of it. And if they can be like this all year long, I think they're better than Brooklyn. I don't like Brooklyn a lot, I'm going to be honest. I, I think Brooklyn's going to be okay. I don't think they went in a playoff series. Atlanta, I like more. I'm on the fence with Miami because Miami drags me back in every year, man, with Hero, with Butler. It's gonna be a it's gonna be close between them two, but I've been impressed, man. And Trey. Trey's the man. Trey is that Trey is that guy. Trey's that man, dude. He's so great. I will just say, I don't think there's a playmaking tandem like this in basketball right now. And these guys have 46 combined assists between two games, Murray and Trey. So, like, even when they're not shooting overly well, 
they impose their will on the game in that way. Both of them can simultaneously, and it's just a really scary combination. And that's like, yeah, well, John Collins is going to shoot 69% through two games and is five of six from deep. Like, he's such a valuable third weapon. You mentioned DeAndre Hunter, like, Capella and Onyeka, honestly, I'm not sure that Capella's better at this point. I think Onyeka looks really good, but those are both quality bigs in terms of rolling the bucket, defending the rim. Really, really good, really talented. I think much more well-rounded team than last year. And by the way, we haven't even seen Bogey, who yeah. is a really, really good offensive player. Yeah, big time. I think the Hawks are a lot better uh, than I expected. And a team that I expected to uh, to be pretty bad, uh, the Utah Jazz. I expected they were going to stink. Um, not as bad as you. Did you have them as your 15 seed? No, I had them as my 14. Yeah, still, I mean, I had them as my 12 seed, and I expect them to win 25 games. Um, my question, my takeaway is, is Utah going to contend for a play-in spot? Like, I mean, I think a couple things are fluky, just the uh, the three-point shooting, right? I mean, but you've got Blazers here, man. Olenek, you've got guys with heaters on them, dude. Olenek, Markinen. For a second, I thought this bro was only going to mention Kelly Olenek. Clarkson, Malik Beasley, dude, you've got guys with just get hot. I mean, Minnesota had a big lead on Utah, up 16 in the second quarter with five minutes left. They were making dumb mistakes offensively, and guys just get hot, man. Clarkson, I will say a big problem uh, in this last game, Clarkson was cooking Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards has got to get better defensively. I love Anthony Edwards. He lit it up offensively. He looks so much better even off the dribble. Just shooting from deep, he looks so much more confident. I think Ant's that guy offensively. Um, Clarkson was cooking Anthony Edwards. You just Anthony just could not stop him off the dribble, and it was bad. Um, uh, Utah outshoots them twenty. They make twenty of fifty threes to eleven of thirty three. Maybe that perimeter defense in Minnesota isn't as good as we thought as well. Um, it feels like Utah is playing like this because they have to, man. Up-tempo, moving the ball quickly, shooting a lot of threes, and it just, I don't know, it's a lot of fun to watch, and it works. Conley's kind of orchestrating the show. Clarkson has the ball in his hands a lot. Um, Markinen had that disgustingly disrespectful dunk on Rudy Gobert, too, man. Like, I don't know. I- I'm surprised. I think Utah, it's tough. Call me crazy. Maybe this is the take. Do I like Utah more than the Sacramento Kings? I don't know, man. They're certainly a lot more fun. I think that Utah right now is right is competing with the Kings for me. They're behind the Blazers, both the Kings. I was wrong about the Blazers. Good call. And Simons and Dame Lillard have been tearing it up. Uh, they've looked stupendous through, uh, stupendous through two games. Utah's still behind uh, Portland and the right on the fence with Sacramento for me, but Utah's fighting with Sacramento. It's a real competition because I just feel like Utah has that edge shooting, man. All of their guys can shoot. That spacing's crazy, and I love the combination with Jared Vanderbilt and Kelly Olenek too. Like that tandem, a, a center who doesn't rebound as well, who can stretch the floor, you put him alongside a guy who just eats on the glass. Uh, I like it. I like Utah a lot more than I expected to. I don't know how long this keeps up. This is just a fluky two games if they're going to fall off. Colin Sexton's look good, man. Clarkson's look good. Um, And I think they're going to play well on their home floor all year long. I think they're going to be close to 500 on their home court. So I don't know if they're going to end up making the play-in. I think Utah is going to be contending for a play-in spot at the end of the year, and they're close to the Sacramento Kings. So that's that's my take. And Utah is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Up-tempo, shoot a lot of threes. And a lot of guys that are good, man. They're talented ball players. So, uh, yeah, man, I think Utah is going to be contending for a playoff, a play-in spot at the end of the year. I definitely should have had them as my 12. And uh, my whole argument that I made to you not so long ago was that in terms of talent in a vacuum, especially offensive talent, then that is where they would belong. But I basically talked myself into thinking this team is too weird. They have too many... I suppose redundant skill sets with like the high volume score first perimeter guards and 
they're not going to have like a common goal to play for because they've all just kind of been dumped here and they're at different points in their careers. And I was like, this team's going to be horrible defensively because I didn't like their personnel there at all, except for shout out Jared Vanderbilt. But they've played really complimentary basketball. And the offensive talent, I think, has always been there to give them a puncher's chance in certain games. I was just like, we'll see if it comes together. But dude, I mean, pardon my French, Lori Markinen looks fucking incredible. Like, is being utilized in ways that we have never seen. And he is producing very, very well, more than 28-4, and four, without shooting the ball particularly well from beyond the arc yet, which I have absolute confidence he'll do. But, like, he is just, like, a different player right now. I mean, he's looking more like a seven-foot wing, is handling the ball from the perimeter, has pushed in transition a couple times, is making, like, really high-quality passes, advancing in transition, Finding guys in the half court, it's just like... And going to the rack, too, man. Yeah, I remember fondly. I think it was one of the first podcasts we ever did where Laurie Markinen came out and had just a monster first game in his third year. And it's the Charlotte Hornets. He had 30-something, and he was attacking downhill. And I thought, God, if we get that Laurie Markinen, he, he could be an all-star. And then he decided he wanted to be a little bitch boy instead. But he looks really, really good right now. And... I mean, yeah, dude, the perimeter offensive talent around is like the bucket getting of Jordan Clarkson and Malik Beasley and good God, Colin Sexton is like <laughs> really damn good. So when you pair that with the playmaking of Conley, Walker Kessler has been pretty impressive and I think was a guy who you could expect to immediately come in and sort of have some of that two-way impact, but he has uh, certainly delivered it. And I don't think they're going to be a play-in team. I do still worry about their defense. And I do still worry at times about sort of the playmaking balance, you know, because outside of Conley, none of these guards are geared towards that. But, I mean, I picked the Thunder to win more games, even though I thought they were clearly less talented, because I was like, hey, the Thunder played really hard last year, and that's the only reason they weren't like the worst team in the league, is because they were competent defensively. And that was my argument. It's like, when it comes to really bad teams, that can make more of a difference, just competing and caring more. Uh, but there's a very clear talent difference between the two teams, I think, and uh, Utah looks like they care right now. Yeah. I don't think they're as talented as Sacramento. I certainly don't think they're as talented as Portland, so I'm not going to go that far. And I do think there may... Come a point where things start trending downwards here, where the defense falls off a cliff. And again, we do see maybe some chemistry and balance issues among those guards who are all kind of geared towards being that score first guy. But nevertheless, I should have had them 12. I should have had them where you have them, at least in that 25 win range, because that's what their talent indicated. And uh, I kind of talked myself into thinking that more things matter. And I regret that. Okay. I have a take about the Brooklyn Nets here, who have not looked great, <laughs> and I think clearly have some things to work through. I mean, first of all, you talk about the interior imbalance versus the Pelicans. They're certainly not equipped to to face a team like that, and I worry about their defense overall, but they did have a better performance against Toronto. My takeaway, though, is about Ben Simmons, who is the man of the hour in a lot of ways because we haven't seen him for so long. I do think he's in the right role here, and... Uh, he just needs to get more comfortable and more aggressive in that role. Like, this is very different than what he's done, right? We never really saw him as that high-volume screener in Philly. He would be transition guy. Sometimes he'd be half-court point guard. When that didn't go well, he would be half-court dunker spot for the most part. Here, he's getting involved in a lot of plays but it's not as lead ball handler. It's not as guy who's expected to go out there and score. And again, there's stuff that needs to work out. He needs to become a technically better screener. He had two illegal screens in that first game, set a really awkward screen, like in the paint that was also an illegal screen. And he needs to be more aggressive. Like I said, he's taking four field goals a game. He's scoring six points a game. I'm sorry. That's not enough. Like, yeah, he's a selfless guy, and you see it sometimes. Or no, he's actually scoring five points a game. Excuse me. He's at four and six. <laughs> like, there are so many spots where if he has what appears to be a pretty open layup or dunk, but there's a cutter who has an equal chance to him, he just wants to pass that ball. 
There was one to Claxton where it was like either one of them could have had a wide open dunk, and he was like, let me just go for a little drop-off. So he definitely has that tendency. I do think he needs to be aware of trying to attack mismatches. He had like one really nice take against Toronto. A couple where he had like a little push shot and a little hook, and he's actually trying to get by guys from the perimeter. I think he needs to do a little bit more of that. I think he needs to find a way if he gets a favorable switch like we know that he kind of just has the hook which is okay he's never been one to bully people he needs to get a little bit better at that still but you see the value of his passing I mean that's what I love here you see the value of his passing and when he doesn't have to try to find a way to always create from the perimeter which he's just not good enough at like like he's not like lightning quick in the half court he's fast in the full court for a 610 guy certainly that's why he's great in transition but he has so many liabilities as a half-court lead ball handler. Here you get the passing. You get some of his athleticism. Getting him the ball in the middle of the floor with shooting around him is the best spot for him to have the ball, right? With an actively rotating or collapsing defense and guys around him who he trusts to knock down shots. And like he is one of the most unselfish players in the NBA, sometimes to a fault. I think it's the right spot. And I think it is like that supercharged kind of Draymond thing we were talking about. Except... Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarity, honestly. Like, sometimes Draymond is even more responsible for, you know, facilitating actions because Steph will do so much off of the ball and he can be the lead facilitator in those spots. We've seen a bit of Simmons really handling the ball, but for the most part, he's getting involved uh, as that screener, getting the ball in the middle of the floor relatively down low. I think he's going to grow into that role. I think he's going to be pretty good in it. But, yeah, he's got to figure out how to score the ball more effectively still. That is undeniable, and, uh, you know, we need better performances from the Nets' role guys, certainly. Joe Harris did not have a good game in the one that he played in, and we still don't have Seth Curry out there yet. So there's a lot of pieces that we still got to see come together for the Nets. I'm not ready to make a definitive assessment of them yet. I need to see them really engaged defensively. But I think there's potential for Ben Simmons in this role. I think so, too. And, I mean, you think of an ideal fit, a guy who does not score very well. I mean, like, this would be the ideal environment. A lot of really good shooters, and I think you're right. I think we need to wait. You've got well, potentially five 40% three-point shooters here. I mean, don't forget that. Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris. You've got guys who can shoot. You can run them all in a lineup with Ben Simmons. If it's KD at the five or if it's Ben Simmons at the five, it's possible. Yeah, I think it can work. And I think you're right. I mean, Ben just has to be more aggressive. That's how you make guys afraid of you in a basketball game. When they were afraid you were about to serve them a bucket, that's when guys slide off. That's why it's so easy to defend him because it's like, oh, Ben, I'm going to give you the lane, but you want to pass the ball. Um, yes, I don't know. I, I, I do have hope for Ben in this role as well, too, and I, I need to hold out on the net. It has not been a promising two games, but you're right. I, we need to hold reservations because it's been, it's been two games. Um, a team that maybe we should hold reservations about. Maybe I'm overreacting, but I, I, I think it's going to be a grind all season long for the Memphis Grizzlies, and that's my final take, and uh, I think you're right. Now, they've been dealing with some circumstances, right? Dylan Brooks is out. We have yet to see him. Jaron Jackson Jr. is out. We have yet to see him. Desmond Bain is shot like shit these two games, but the bottom line is you got 34 points from John Moran against the Knicks, and you needed overtime. And you got 49 points against the stinking Rockets and you needed help. Like, I don't care that Brooks and Jackson are out. Those are games that you need to finish if Ja gives you a performance like that. I mean, if Ja plays like this all season long, the Grizzlies are going to win as many games as I expected them to, and Ja's going to win MVP at this rate. You know what I mean? And it's crazy because he shot three of six from deep and he shot five of six from deep. Now, I, credit to Ja because they asked him post game and he said that's due to work. That's because Ja put in work, and I believe that he did in the offseason. And I believe this may be the best shooting job that we're going to get this season up to this point. He's going to be really fucking hard to defend, man. The best finishing guard in all of basketball just got better shooting from behind the arc. It's scary. But they're going to struggle all season long. I mean, these are two pretty bad teams. The Knicks played well. I'll give them their credit, man. The Knicks played them all right. Should not, should, and I know Jalen Green had a really good game, 33 points. These are games that you just got to finish off, man. And so I think it's going to be tough. Shout out to Santi Aldama. He's looked really good. I actually, man, fuck Kyle Anderson. I think Santi Aldama's better. 
already. I mean that. I, and I like Aldama a lot, and I think that he's going to be a really good plug-and-play. But I think this rotation still does miss DeAnthony Melton. I think they miss another go-to ball handler, and I don't think Brooks and Jackson make that significant of a difference. It's going to be a long season, and Jaw's going to have to play like an MVP-level candidate if the Grizzlies want to be a top-five seed out west. Bottom line. Um, so it's going to be tough all season long because I think Jaw's going to have to play like this for the Grizzlies to scratch ahead to just barely get ahead I think you're right and uh, I had the Grizzlies as my eight seed coming into this year because I just think they're at a bit of a talent deficit compared to a fully loaded Western Conference right now and I don't think that they got better in any way but Jaw is a superhuman man I mean the stuff that he has done through two games is just ridiculous he quite literally gets to the rim at will in so many of these matchups and uh, just so impressive so thrilling to watch but outside of that I mean sure Triple J is clearly one of their three best players again Brooks kind of goes back and forth between a between being a positive and a negative it's been really rough for Bain you have seen the playmaking value out of him and like that's something where he's always been pretty savvy pretty good but he has 13 assists through two games but yeah outside of this dude I mean it's like their depth has taken a real hit John Contra has played 64 minutes has actually been pretty solid, but it's like then you're getting into with this bench the rookies, David Roddy and Jake LaRavia, who I think are both okay, but a little weird. It's like they're just not churning out the difference makers off the bench that they were two years ago last year that was so important to their success. And yes, their depth is obviously weakened by missing two important players, but I think it's taken a step back regardless. And I do think it's going to be a rough year. I think it's going to be a grind, and I really don't think Jaw can play much better than he did last year. If he does haul the power to him, he's a superhero, but it's like he can't take 25 shots every night, and he can't do so on ridiculous efficiency too. It's just not a sustainable formula, very obviously, and especially, like you said, not against particularly good teams. So I also think it's going to be a grind for the Grizzlies. I thought they were a prime regression candidate. I thought you were kind of a wild man for picking them as your one seed. And I, I still think all those things. Okay. My last takeaway is that the LA Lakers are what we expected, pretty much. I had them as the nine seed. And look, the reality is that uh, the basketball talent is just not there for this team. We had a... <laughs> Significant debate about if this team's third best player would be Dennis Schroeder, Kendrick Nunn, Austin Reeves, or Patrick Beverly. So how is that team going to do anything meaningful? Like, even with LeBron and AD, you know, they are just at a complete talent deficit to every playoff caliber team in the Western Conference and in the NBA. So the most obvious thing that is just obliterating them at this point is that they're 22% from deep, and they have the worst shooting resume in the NBA so far this year. They have two of the worst volume jump shooters we've seen over the last three years. Kirk Goldsberry keeps tweeting out that AD is the least efficient jump shooter in that time period, and uh, Russell Westbrook is not at all far behind him. And then, I mean, Pat Bev can't hit anything. Lonnie Walker can't hit anything. Like, JTA can't hit anything. I mean, it is hideous up and down this roster right now and that will get better right like pat bev is a an above average shooter lonnie walker is a fine shooter but i mean jta percentage wise has been a pretty good shooter in his career but isn't a super willing shooter he doesn't love that he would prefer to attack the closeout get downhill try to use his athleticism try to use his playmaking so this is not by any stretch of the imagination a good shooting team it's a bad shooting team when you consider that the shooting from the wings is okay and then uh Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook are on the floor who have both been miserable jump shooters uh AD for the last couple years Russell Westbrook for his entire basketball career the Russ fit does not work it is a spacing disaster it is a disaster in terms of the fact that he takes up any possessions and of course as I'm sure we all saw he had two points on 0 of 11 shooting in their last game they look a lot better defensively and I think that's what we all anticipated right like that's the reason that you expected the jump is they're more athletic they have better defensive personnel. They have more of an incentive to be locked in for a full year when it was kind of obvious that last year they weren't healthy enough. The rust fit was a disaster. Everything was just wrong. They weren't going to do anything. So, yeah, they're a lot better defensively. 
think that was very predictable. Offensively, it's going to be a slog. And, uh, you know, I think AD has looked solid. I think he's been appropriately aggressive and all that, and that's good. But his uh, reliance on jump shooting when he's a bad jump shooter is a problem. You know, I don't think we're ever going to see Bubble AD, who was 37% from deep and 50% on jumpers overall. Again, he hasn't been close to that for a few years now. And <laughs> their supporting cast just doesn't cut it. So it's not a surprise. In fact, it's pretty much exactly what I would say we expected. They did not do enough. The fact that Rob Palenka got extended is an atrocity. I think he is the worst general manager in basketball. He has consistently made horrid moves. And uh, I just saw my guy Jason Timpf, who I do hoops tonight with for the volume, tweet out that it's crazy that Russ is the third best player in the Russ trade. I think he was taking KCP over Russ, which is correct, honestly. Like, Russ is bad. I would so much rather have KCP if I'm trying to win basketball games. But Kuz, man, is a monster. And yeah, that maybe be a weird, awkward front court, but I don't know. The shooting is so bad. I mean, I just remember one series where it was, I think, back-to-back -back Kendrick Nunn air balls or, like, really bad misses, and then Damian Jones pulled a three and just bricked it. And I was like, yeah, that seems about right. This team has zero potential of doing anything significant unless they make the Buddy Heald Miles Turner trade. That is it. They need the shooting. Uh, I they could certainly use the athleticism and interior force of Miles Turner. That could make them like maybe, you know, well, I don't think they would be better defense than the Celtics, but they could be right up there for the best defense in the league and then a, a competent offense because right now they're going to be a significantly below average offense, even with LeBron James. Because the one way, the one way to mess up a LeBron James offense is to not give him shooting. So that when he creates those great looks, when he collapses defenses as he's done since the moment he stepped on the floor when, as a rookie, when he makes the right read and kicks it to them, the only way to fuck that up is if those guys can't actually make the wide open shots. And guess what? That's what this roster is right now. They cannot appreciate the quality looks being created for them. So, until that changes, this team isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to add on top of that. That was uh, pretty good. Yeah, the Lakers, uh, I think Bill Simmons and then discussed it on uh, his pod, maybe the worst 3-10 through 10 on the league. And I think I completely agree. I mean, it's hard. It's horrendous. It's partly LeBron's fault because he wanted Russell Westbrook. So, I mean, I think you lay in the bed that, you know, you made for yourself. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I agree with basically everything you said. I mean, yeah, they're at a talent deficit. This team trotted out. JTA played a lot of minutes. And it's like like you said, bro. There's not enough shooting here. And I honestly, I respect LeBron a little bit for calling out um, management. You know, there's there's no shooting here. There isn't. That's the one thing they could have done. Even if it was get, I don't know, man, Bryn Forbes and I don't know, man, like uh, Sam Hauser. Like, uh, who cares, dude? Just guys who knock down open shots. You could at least have an above league average offense. I will say, though, if we're being reasonable, they tried to do that last year. They brought in the Mellows and the Malik Monks and. Uh, <laughs> They were sorely lacking on the defensive end. So maybe just, you know, get some solid all-around all, all 3 and D wings. I think a guy like KCP could have been really nice here. Basically what I'm saying is go get good players, Los Angeles Lakers. Did you ever think of that one, Rob Palenka? Um, man, I was going to say something. It was going to be really smart. Oh, yeah, I, I know what it was. This is my hot take. Lonnie Walker blows. Lonnie Walker sucks. I've watched him miss so many layups over these past couple days. Like, Lonnie Walker actually stinks at basketball and should not be playing, like, rotational minutes with LeBron. I feel bad for him. Um, he stinks. Pretty hilarious that he was the guy that they went out and used the uh, MLE on. Good work, Rob Palinka. You are so, so bad at your job. Okay? That's going to do it, ladies and gentlemen. You... Guys can find plenty more of our content. It's uh, it's all over the internet. You can follow us on TikTok at NerdSesh. That's where coming out with trivia stuff all the time and tons of takes. That's where I did my rookie breakdowns. That's where I've been going through my top 10 players in NBA history. Only two left. Just knocked out Kareem at number three, Jordan LeBron. What's the order going to be? I don't know. Got to go check that out. 
You guys can check us out across the other social platforms, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, Instagram at nerd sesh. That's where we uh, bang out graphics with our um, weekly NFL spread picks. We do some video content there from pods. So always tune in to those channels and you guys can listen to the podcast wherever, you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your audio content. So Hope to uh, hope to see you guys across all those channels. Hope you've enjoyed this show and hope you enjoy everything that we do. Everything, every single thing we've ever done. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Session. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.